conductive wire And you were so electric I had no say when you came so near And just passed right through me Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back. Today I am joined once again by Andrew Cram and we're talking about cars yet again. But this time we're talking about the very first movie in a very long series, The Fast and the Furious. Andrew, I cannot believe this movie came out 20 years ago. Yo, you posted that story on Instagram today, and I had this moment where I looked at it and it made me question my entire life. Same. (laughs) Honestly. Yeah, that was crazy. 20 years. And you know what's funny that I think about is how much those cars like it's such a period piece in the sense of like they captured a very very specific niche era of tuner cars so now you go back and look and you're like that was really cool back then and that did not age well (laughs) yeah there were quite a few aspects of the movie that didn't age well but you know of course we have to talk about this cast here because you have paul walker rest in peace you have Vin Diesel, you have Michelle Rodriguez, you have Jordana Brewster, you have so many familiar faces in this one. It's actually kind of hard to keep track of all the people in this because you even have like Ted Levine popping in and you're just like, what is going on? And that man has such a distinct voice. I was like, yes, I know who you are. (laughs) What was he in? I I missed that. So... In the movie, he's one of the cops at the, you know, fancy house that they take Brian to. Oh, that is he wearing like the yellow glasses, like that fear in Las Vegas vibes. (laughs) He has like the super deep, like gravelly kind of voice. Yeah, I saw him in the movie and I like I kind of had that like halfway conclusion where I looked at it and I was like, that guy looks familiar. And I didn't think anything past it. So he's in like a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, like. As you know, and I'm sure some of the listeners know, I host a Stephen King podcast, too, and he was in The Mangler of all movies, and he was just in some TV show I was watching, Big Sky, which is just like this network show that was kind of wild, and I was like, man, they made him look really old in that because that was, you know, this year, and I was like, wow, that's that, that was a rough look in 20 years for him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Damn, that's funny. I didn't realize that. And then here's a crazy bonus cameo for the cast. I have a friend that was in this movie and I didn't know it until much later. In the very, very first street racing scene, when the four cars line up, the white Honda Civic with the dude playing PlayStation in his car is a dude named RJ Devera. And he works at an automotive, like a detailing or a... Meguiar's like the the car cleaning products okay and I met him through a friend and we were talking and he was like a real car enthusiast like actually in it like knew every little technical thing and he's like oh yeah he's like remember the first Fast and the Furious I was like yeah he's like remember the white Honda Civic I'm like yeah he's like yeah that was me and I was like what so that one blew my mind I didn't know that till later but now every time I see it I'm like RJ yeah you also have Rick Yoon Chad Lindbergh Johnny Strong Matt Scholes You even have Ja Rule in this. And you're you're just like, this cast is wild. And I really 
felt like there was so much of this movie I didn't remember, honestly, because I don't know when I first watched it. But growing up, we had like the first three movies on DVD. So I know for a fact that I watched at least the first three. And I'm definitely not cut up by any means. I am not ready for for the ninth movie. I have some catching up to do. But for you, what is it about this series that just draws you to it? Is it simply just the cars? Or is it just kind of a combination of the cast, the cars, and then honestly, story probably comes in last for most people with these movies? Probably. Well, I don't know. I don't know if I ever claimed to be the world's biggest Fast and the Furious fan, but I am certainly a fake fan when it comes to the franchise because I don't even think I've seen past Tokyo Drift. Okay. I don't know any like and that's that's not me. Like, I don't know what that is. Like, I never meant to follow it or not follow it. I was just like, oh, cool. Fast and the Furious. Like when I was younger, it was all about the cars. Like to answer your question, it was the cars. It was one of those first times where you know, when you're a kid, especially before the internet, or at least for our generation of like, you didn't, you couldn't just like YouTube all the stuff that you loved. So when you found a movie that had all of the things you loved in it, you were just like, this is it. Right. And like, it was so rare. Like I remember that movie grind, like the skateboarding movie. And even though it was kind of whack, you were like, it's skateboarding in a movie. So you just liked it. So I think that's what it was for me when I was younger was just watching this movie. And even though now we look back and there are certain things that are so painfully corny, they, I will say, did a great job capturing this street racing scene that really wasn't mainstream like that until then. And if it is true that this movie is 20 years old, which I'm still having a very hard time grappling with. But that would have put me at like 11, uh, 10, 11 when it came out. And I think back to that, and that was so influential for me getting into cars. So the whole appeal for it was the cars. It was this crazy thing of seeing all of the cars that I was interested in, not knowing a ton at the time, and understanding that some of them were whack and some of them weren't, but like, it was just that. It was like, wow, this is crazy. Yeah. And there are certainly aspects of this movie that didn't age super well. Like there's a ton of stereotypes in here and just some of the way that the movie was edited together. You're just Mm -hmm. like, wow, they're covering up these race scenes with a lot of quick edits here. And you have that first big race scene where Brian is, you know, challenging Dom to a race. And it was giving me a headache, honestly, a little bit, because I was like, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, it's it's hectic. And the other, like, the kind of the joke of those race scenes now is I just feel like they're always shifting gears. Like, you typically have five yeah. or six <laughs> gears in a manual transmission, and they're, they're just like... 26 shifts for every race you're just like what are we doing here and the amount of like ridiculous cuts to this is and that's and that's but then i think about it and did they accomplish the goal of showing you like an involved dramatic race scene yes is it accurate at all no but (laughs) i respect them for like translating it and making it entertaining and kind of capturing a feeling i guess you know Yeah, and when they're using the NOS, you're just like, 
okay, we understand <laughs> you really want us to feel like you're going super fast and you just see like the blurs going by. Yes. And I was like, okay, this this yes. is a lot. And I do think with some of the later movies, at least from what I've seen in trailers and stuff, it does seem like the race scenes have improved greatly over the years but you know this was 20 years ago and that's so easy to forget when we think about these movies because there's about to be nine of them not including Hobbs and Shaw and you know for me I know when we talked about Gone in 60 Seconds we kind of talked about how I like the 60s era of sports cars and stuff and in this you're getting a lot of like late 90s very very early 2000s kind of stuff and I was like wow, this is a look. <laughs> it's a look. It is absolutely a look. But that, that to me was again, like the appeal was it was the first movie that captured this era of cars. And at the time it was very period correct. Like that's what custom builds looked like. And if anything, the the cars are ridiculous now to look at. But the more I look back at it, I'm like, it's extremely period correct as far as like those tuner builds and everything like that. Like the louder the paint, the crazier the body kit, the crazier the sound system, all of that, your crazy vinyl graphics on the side and everything yep. like that. Like they nailed it. Yeah, they really did. And I'm not as familiar with the car scene as you are, obviously. But for me, I was kind of like, why didn't you guys think logically about this and not have your cars be the brightest colors possible so that it's easier for the cops to find you? <laughs> I guess like they had those black civics, but they still put green underglow on those. Yep. Like their sneaky like steel stuff from semi trucks still had fucking bright green underglow on them. I don't know. It's it's a mess. <laughs> yeah. And I was just like Okay, you have what, like bright orange, bright green, bright yellow. It's like all of the obvious colors. And I think Luddy's car is kind of like a reddish maroon color or something like that, which isn't necessarily the brightest color, but you're kind of like, yeah, if you guys get caught, you kind of brought this on yourselves. Yeah, for sure. That's It's funny you say that too, because there's that like one scene where Brian's like uh, investigating that garage. Like he's like trying to see what's up before the races and all that. And he rolls up in a bright red Ford Lightning truck. But like before he parks, he like turns his headlights off as if you're like, oh, where to go? Like, <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of that in it for sure. But again, like I just give all of that such a pass for the sake of like, I think we kind of talked about this in the Gone in 60 Seconds one too, is like movie wise, just holes everywhere and like things yeah. that aren't logical at all. But as far as an entertaining thing that's visually appealing the whole time, it's, I'm in. Right. And I think that's why this franchise has done so well since this first movie, because they just excel at entertaining people. You don't yeah. need this full, complicated story. And they do give you some backstory with Dom and things like that. And that continues throughout the series. And, you know, obviously Tokyo Drift, kind of a whole different scenario there because it's a whole different cast and everything for the most part. But with this first movie, they were really setting the tone for, hey, you want cars, you want racing, and you want this family that isn't actually family with the exception of two of them, but, you know, yeah. they're going to feel like family. And it feels like you're kind of hanging hanging out with friends who all happen to be criminals, but that's besides the yeah. point. 
but you're it's it's interesting the way you say that because they kind of did make a formula that wasn't really there or at least wasn't successful on that level of yeah there's been like flashy cars and movies forever and there's been the hero cars and the chase scenes and all that but they made an entire movie where they're like yeah like a huge focal point of this whole thing is just featuring the cars and then the storyline is last like you have action and cars and then they're like oh yeah 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 i guess they're like uh stealing stuff and he's a cop and then uh i don't know whatever else uh uh they're, they're in love but then he betrays them uh but but now they're like it, that was not the the primary point there and that was an interesting thing like to see that do so well right yeah, so to dive into the cars more, because, you know, like we just said, that's kind of why we're here. Do you have any personal favorites when it comes to these cars? Oh, wow. What a question. What a what a great question from a great host. Okay, so as I watched back and look at them, I remember Dom's RX-7 was so crazy. Like, seeing RX-7s back then, you were just like, what? And I was always, the one thing was I was always a Honda kid growing up, like my tuner cars, like I had a Honda CRX and I had like a, a B16 VTEC, like dual cam, like VTEC swap. And it was like the craziest thing in the world to me. And I felt like I wanted more representation for my people in that movie. Like the, there weren't as many cool Hondas <laughs> as I wanted in the beginning. Like, yes, there was the Civics that stole stuff. And yes, they ordered three spoon engines and at race war or uh, racer's edge, like there was a little bit of it, but um, there wasn't like a super, super cool hero car Honda in it. And I was like super Honda kid at that time. But the other cars that stood out was I really, really loved Dom's RX-7. And then, I mean, honestly, I felt like they did a great job with Brian's Eclipse, like that wasn't a cool car ever. Like even me being in the car scene, like eclipses weren't that cool. People modified them, but it wasn't that cool. And that car, like it was a pretty cool hero mm -hmm. car. So I, I respect them for that. Um, man, what are other cars that specifically for, for Fast and the Furious 1, I think Letty's, Letty had a 240SX, the maroon car. And that was cool. That was an S14. And like that one didn't get all that much much attention, but I thought that that was super cool. And then when, when I mean, when Brian builds the Supra, like that build and they're getting all the parts and they're going to like, when you see that orange Supra done, especially for back then, you're like, yo, sick. Like that was super cool. And when he beats the Ferrari in that street race scene, like that for some reason, like when you were in the tuner scene, like was this empowering moment where you're like, I can build a tuner car that'll beat a Ferrari. Yeah. If they can do it, so can I. So I thought that was really fun. That was goals. <laughs> oh yeah. That was goals. And then I felt like they really stepped it up uh, again in like the second one and the third one, they just kept bringing the heat. Like we look back at it now and some of those cars didn't age well, but like Brian rolled up in the second one. I remember going to theaters and Brian rolls up in the in the second Too Fast, Too Furious in that silver R34 Nissan Skyline. And you can't get those in the States. You have to import those. And he rolls up in that and that like being on the big screen. And I was like, they know. They know that it's rare. It's cool. Like, that was really cool. I really, really liked that. 
Um, and then even in Tokyo Drift, I felt like they did some really cool cars. I do have to say with this first one, too, I had to look up all the cars, and I probably will for any of the other movies that we do if you want to still do the second and third ones after this. But <laughs> I'm so sorry I put you through this. <laughs> no, no, no. I actually enjoy these movies, but it's just one of those things where if you put a Mustang on the screen, I will know it's a Mustang. But if you put like, mm -hmm. you know, this era of car in front of me, I'm just like, I don't know. But I really got a good laugh out of the fact that they had a Jetta as one of the tuner cars. Yeah. Yeah. That the Mark three Jetta and they kind of made it like the bastard child car, but that Jesse's Jetta was actually pretty cool. And I, again, was more of like the Japanese, like Honda kid. And I, at first wasn't at all into like the Euro scene and Volkswagens. But as you go back to that, that was another really cool thing that they did bringing that Jetta in because that was its own entire other tuner scene, very specifically like Euro tuner Jettas and all of that, any type of Volkswagen and Audis and things like that. So I kind of respect them even more for making sure that there was a Euro tuner in it as well. And it's, it's cool because like it is kind of like the not as cool car because Jesse's kind of the awkward tag along like brains of the operation. <laughs> but that's like another one. If anything, I go back and look at that and I feel like that's one of the ones that aged even better where I'm like, that's sick. So you being a Honda guy and all, what did you think of Johnny Trans Honda? Oh, Johnny Trans 2000, his S2000, huge, massive, absolutely massive. And another thing to paint the picture for the uh, not as deep car nerds, the Honda S2000 came out in the year 2000. So think about them incorporating that car. Like that was the one of the coolest, most sought after cars in 2001. Like all the tuner kids knew how cool those were instantly, but there weren't a ton of them. I mean, they got modified quickly, mm -hmm. but to have in a movie that quickly, like a hero or not, he wasn't a hero, but to have like one of those sick cars or like the boss mode villain car that they have to beat at race wars <laughs> being an S2000 that early on was crazy because that was like, felt like an unattainable car at the time. So I loved it. It was awesome. I imagine this movie made people want a lot of these cars, even just over the years, not just with this first movie, but you know with me not knowing much about them, just the fact that you're saying that that car was so sought after, it was probably even more so after people went and saw this movie. And, you know, how much illegal activity have these movies <laughs> inspired over the years? That would be something that would be really funny to see if that's like, had any impact on like, illegal street racing and things like that, just because of, oh. you know, the fact that these movies are cool, even though, you know, we're kind of rooting for a bunch of criminals. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's, I mean, that was, I was a pretty good kid growing up. Like I didn't get into too, too much trouble, but the one thing where I really did get into trouble and like get into those hairy situations was I legitimately built my little street racer CRX and would go out on Friday and Saturday nights out to the bridge in Florida. Like in, like we had like in the Tampa area, there was three bridges and you knew that comes like 11 PM into like 2 AM. If you went out on Friday night, that was the street races. 
And that was the only time where I ever like really got into it was like going out there street racing, like a couple times running from the cops, like sketchy, sketchy things. And that was the, (laughs) that was me like being like bad kid. Like I wasn't like partying, doing drugs and stuff like that. Like I was out street racing and like that had to have been an influence on me. Granted, it was very different in real life like it wasn't right. as animated and it's not like they're like playing music and there's like crowds cheering and you're not lining up four cars in a row it was a lot different but again that's where i kind of respect like it's a movie you know like they had to make it look all crazy but uh yeah i think i think it definitely definitely inspired an entire wave of street racing it's one of those things where you don't know how accurate these scenes are until you've like experienced them in person, which I have not. I drive a boxy Jeep Wrangler. It's not racing anyone <laughs> anywhere. Yeah. And you really just feel like this is either really accurate or it's way off base. Yeah, like that's that's such a funny one to think about because I was at least in my community, who knows, I can't speak for Southern California where this movie takes place because I wasn't growing up there at the time. I don't know everybody's specific cities, but street racing certainly happened for me in Tampa where I grew up, looked different, but was definitely a thing. But you, as you watch these movies, do you just take it at face value where you're like, oh, wow, that's what street racing looks like. There we go. I am at this point very aware that it's super unrealistic just like how easily they blocked off a street in los angeles <laughs> streets closed pizza boy go yeah. home find another way home oh and one of the other things that really amazed me with this is how much parking was available in los angeles you read my mind on that <laughs> as i watched it again that i mean that gets me in a lot of movies but i am so specifically offended in any piece of media where in la you're going to roll up with that many cars deep and just all of you park in the front how yeah. dare you how dare you make la look like this and sell me the fake dream the parking's not like that ample parking no such a dream in LA and you know quick shout out to Westminster too because they do film some of the scenes there I grew up in Garden Grove which is right next door to Westminster so I was like oh that makes sense that's why maybe some of these things looked familiar oh really (laughs) yeah so like where Johnny Tran's crew hangs out was in Westminster where all of those like statues are I think was in Westminster too whoa That's funny you bring that up because I, when I moved out to LA, I looked up the movie trivia and went to as many like random in LA Fast and the Furious spots. Like I went to Racer's Edge and where the first street race scene happens is like Row at downtown LA, which has come up like crazy now. It's like fancy buildings and condos, whatever. But back then it was just like warehouses, Toretto's Market is a little grocery store. It actually looks like that. Yeah. Super cool. Like I like went to as many of those that I could, but I didn't know the Westminster side because I haven't gone that far out. Yeah, it was something that I just came across when I was looking stuff up for the movie too. I think I was trying to find like the location of Dom's house or something, which is now blurred out on Google Maps. Is it? Yeah, it was weird. I like typed in the address that I found for it because, you know, it's like this big house in like Echo Park area. And 
I was like, why is this the only house that's blurred out on this street? I was like, did they do something to it or what? So I have no idea, but it was uh, something I had not seen on Google Maps before necessarily. I wonder if they have to do that for specific houses and stuff like that. Like if a, if a house gets too famous because of a movie or something like that, or maybe the owner's request, they're like, hey, can you please have people stop coming here? Like maybe that's a slight remedy to it. It made me think of the house in Breaking Bad where Walter White throws a pizza on the roof in Albuquerque. And apparently people kept going to that house and throwing pizzas on their roof, even though people live there. I went there. I didn't throw the pizza. So I think it might be some sort of weird situation like that, maybe. Yeah. And I know there's the American Horror Story house from the first season that's in L.A. And I think they had to put a fence up. Oh, yeah. The murder house sucks. I feel bad for that. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I mean, I just wanted to look out of curiosity to see if the house still actually looked the same on, you know, the street view, because they'll do a lot of things where sometimes they'll like put a facade up in front of a house and that'll be like the set house. And then, you know, I just think it's so rare to find a house with that much of a backyard in LA too, that isn't like, you know, these multi-million dollar mansions so i was just like looking up locations for filming and stuff like that and came across that and thought it was interesting but you know we've talked about some of the cars but i do want to talk about the story a little bit because our main character brian is an undercover cop he's working with a joint task force it seems like between the lapd and the fbi or whatever police department it is and you have him trying to infiltrate this crew, basically. And I like that, you know, they give us that information, but I totally didn't remember him just like telling everyone that he was a cop in this movie. Doesn't he have to at the end, right? Like when they, uh, it's, how does that, how does that shake out? He has to, he has to call for the, he has to call for the ambulance. Right. That's how Dom finds out. But earlier he tells Mia, he's like, I'm a cop. We need to go save your brother because this is not going to end well. So he tells her and she knows the entire time they're driving. And then he makes the ambulance call and he's like, this is officer so-and-so. And, And, you know, and then you see just Dom fuming and you're like, "Mm, I wouldn't do that to Vin Diesel. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's see, that's how much I followed the storyline, right? I literally just watched it. You bring that up, and I'm like, oh yeah, you're <laughs> You're gonna have to guide this part of when it. When did this yeah. happen? I'm sorry, were there things that weren't cars in this movie? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like over here telling you, I'm like, so the S two thousand had been out for one year and that's why it's special. And you're like, Yeah, so the entire point of the movie where he's a cop, remember that part? And I'm like, Oh yeah, he was a cop, huh? How about that? <laughs> It's so easy to forget, though, because all of the promo you see for, like, the movies after this and everything, it's like, they're just friends hanging out, you know? (laughs) And then I totally, like, spaced on this whole section of the story and, you know, these first, I guess, couple of movies, at least, is how this plays out. Because, you know, there are a couple cars we haven't talked about yet, but we will get to them because they kind of appear more later in the movie. But you have them doing this street racing and brian's kind of like you know i know for a fact you can't afford 15 grand in parts to you know fix up this junker car i brought you 
just by doing tune-ups and things like that. So he's like, I want in on the real action. And then we find out that Dom's crew is the one that was, you know, robbing the trucks with all the electronics and stuff in them at the beginning of the movie. So it does at least bring you full circle, which is nice and honestly kind of unexpected for this movie. Yeah, no, that's true, actually. And you did really just like summarize that extremely well, because that is the whole point, right? Like he gets in with them, wants to know what's going on. That's the perfect in like that. I guess really that is the elevator synopsis of the movie. Yeah, because it it seems like it's not even really about the street racing. It's like, obviously, the cops want to stop that. But in the grand scheme of things, they're not really hurting anyone when they do that. You know, they're kind of just inconveniencing people by blocking off streets in Los Angeles. And also very little traffic in L.A. I don't know where they get their information from. Kills me. Yeah. You you think (laughs) about the crime in this movie and it is relatively harmless crime. Granted, this was 20 years ago. Yeah, still, though. But it is funny, like the they're robbing from like they're robbing semi trucks, which I mean, obviously stealing ain't no good, but like it's it's different crime. This is this is non-traditional movie crime. Normally, it's like murder and bank heist and crazy stuff like that. Whereas this it's street racing and stealing electronics. And they made that crime interesting. So you got to give it to them for that. That's new movie crime. <laughs> yeah. I also just have to say I love that the cars fit under the semis, which I don't yes. think I could ever drive a car that sits that low to the ground. I know you do, but I could not do that. <laughs> well, but that's actually, that's funny you say that too, because that's extremely like your car's not fitting under a semi truck like that. Also true. <laughs> and I remember after this movie came out, all the kids that wanted to be like the super low car low, it was always the Miatas, the Mazda Miatas that they would slam to the ground every now and then. And not while they were driving, but you'd see the photo shoots where they would get them under a semi truck. And that's, you got to give that to Fast and the Furious. You know, they did that. Yeah, which is, you know, fairly dangerous. I wouldn't recommend doing that to anyone. But for me, I just liked how they were doing things that you hadn't really seen in movies like this and like you said this was really the first time movies like this were successful on a franchise level and even later down the line I think they tried to do need for speed movies with Aaron Paul and it's just like there were already like six Fast and the Furious movies by that point so it's like why did you even bother Yeah, that's you brought that up and I'm like, oh, yeah, did that happen? Wow, crazy. Yeah. So for you, is there anything else you want to bring up about this movie before we sort of talk about that final race scene and the post credit scene, which I accidentally turned the movie off during the credits and then found out later there was a post credit scene. I was like, oh, Fast and the Furious pulling a Marvel before Marvel did. <laughs> wow. You're going to have to you're saying that to me and I'm like, I turned it off before post credits when I just watched it again. Right? You have to tell me this. I literally forget. I had to watch it on YouTube. Don't worry, though. I, ha- I have you covered. Okay, perfect. Perfect. You got to hit that in the show notes for anybody listening. That's for anybody that, that is that deeply in right now where they're like, there's a post credit scene. But uh, anything else for me? I, I mean, we really dug into the cars. You really humored me there. And I appreciate that. It was a very it was a very good sport move of you. 
I felt like they threw a good little romance in there. Brian falling for Mia and like that whole like dynamic and all of that. Like, yeah, I'm in. I'm in. I like that. I, I think you brought it back again to like that whole family thing. I think there was like that unlikely tag ragtag bunch of street racers all getting closer and those two fall in love. And like there's that whole like story. I thought that was kind of fun. I don't know. I'm an old fashioned guy. I like a good love story in a movie. <laughs> okay. So final race scene, you have brian and you have dom dom has finally brought out the charger it happened 70 i'm really hoping that is the correct car name (laughs) yep it's a 1970 dodge charger rt okay so you have that going up against this you know 90s car and there's just a stark difference in these cars and i really loved how that came across on screen because you have you know this black charger and this bright orange car and you know the whole running joke is that brian owes dom a 10 second car and so he has this struggle at the end with dom because they killed someone you know right in front of them and you can tell that Brian is really struggling with, do I arrest this guy? Do I not arrest this guy? And he's like, you know what? I owe this guy a car. I'm going to give him the car. We'll figure it out later. And this is where, you know, we get the first of many muscle cars throughout the franchise. And it's so heartbreaking to see him get hit by that semi right after they make it past the train and you're like holding your breath the whole time, even though we know They both survive because there's so many movies. (laughs) They really get you. But yeah, you can imagine like watching this for the first time, not knowing there's going to be 1800 sequels, you know, you're kind of like, oh, no, are they going to kill off one of the main characters? And they don't. But then they make you think they are going to again, like two seconds later. And it's just a really intense ending. And I think they had to end on that kind of note for it to work and then you know we'll get to the post credit scene momentarily but like i said first of many muscle cars to come yeah and you know what's interesting about that again to come back and be car guy here is another part of the franchise that i really do respect is they brought in so many different kinds of cars like because personally like i was never really muscle car guy but I respected it and they never like there was always it was kind of clicky right like when you were going to car meets there would be different types of cars at different types of meets and even though I didn't care for the muscle car side of it I thought that it was really cool that from that moment and throughout the entire franchise they did a pretty good job bringing all these different types of cars together and that's probably them just being like we need to sell movie tickets so we need to have every type of car enthusiast here but also respect because i thought that that was cool and even though i was never never muscle car person i respected their effort for bringing that in and representing every type of car enthusiast and yeah respect there yeah so are you ready for the post credit scene Um, I have one more piece that's funny. I believe like you were saying something earlier and I didn't say it, but you were saying so like the Charger races against a Mark IV Supra, the orange car that Brian has. And 
we were talking about like did the movie make cars famous or more expensive or whatever so you had this whole generation of 90s tuner cars and i don't know if it was a hundred percent fast and the furious like it's obviously an amazing car actually and it, it was just so well built but that supra now is still like you see them on car auctions and if you can get like the the turbo version that's in manual those cars sell for close to a hundred thousand dollars stock that's crazy so it's crazy that just the legacy of i can't say that it's just the movie but it's crazy that that car still is like literally like very famous and iconic so good job on them it's funny i was browsing around and i looked up the jetta and it seemed like people were like making replicas because I saw like yep. two or three that looked exactly like the one in this movie. And they were going for like $15,000. And I was like, really, a Jetta? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think, I think that Frankie Muniz bought the original movie car Jetta. That oddly seems very fitting. <laughs> that we'll have to fact check it. But I, I, I want to say that that's a funny piece of Fast and the Furious movie history. Yeah, well... The post credits scene does give us another new car. Roll the post credits. And it's the 1970 Chevrolet Chevelle SS. It is red with, I think it has black racing stripes on it. And you see Dom driving it down in Baja, Mexico. And he's basically like, you know, fleeing from Brian. <laughs> oh my gosh, that does happen. Yeah, it's that little scene. Yeah. Wow. I, I totally forgot and I didn't catch it when I watched it again. Same. Like I said, I turned it off during the credits and I was like, oh, oops. <laughs> I'm trying to remember now because I only refreshed on the first one before this podcast. They start the second one in Miami. Does Dom come into it in the second one? Or do they bring that back like later, later? I was like, is Dom in the second movie? Is Brian in the second movie? So the second movie, I believe, is is Brian picking up from the end of the movie from Brian's perspective. And he's now down in Miami and he's he's running the street racing circuit out there with his R34 skyline. And another funny piece of movie trivia that might not be 100%. I didn't d deeply fact check it. But I want to say that originally... Ja Rule was supposed to have Ludacris's part, but Ja Rule was a little, had too much of an ego at the time and kind of blew the director off. So I want to say that he got replaced by Ludacris, and then Ludacris came in and killed it in the second movie. Yeah, I was wondering that too when I was watching this. I was like, are these supposed to be the same character? And, you know, he just got recast later on? Because, you know, that does happen. I mean, it happened with Marvel where you have Edward Norton as... Bruce Banner and the Hulk and then you have Mark Ruffalo as the Hulk and the next time we see right. the Hulk and you're like okay all right we'll run with it yeah yeah so I don't know I'm not sure but um I I thought I, I thought I heard that somewhere because then they like Ludacris stayed in the in the franchise for a bit yeah he's in quite a few movies from what I remember I think they might be different characters but I just really thought this was fun it obviously isn't a masterpiece of a movie but you know I gave it a three out of five because I was like you know what I sat down there were some issues with how well this movie did or did not age frankly but I still had a fun time with it. 
I mean, here we are coming back to the same conclusions that we did with Gone in 60 Seconds is, <laughs> did it age well? Absolutely not. Terribly. But was for the time that it was and in a vacuum, is it a fun movie? You better believe it. You better believe it. Yeah, honestly, it's just one of those things where I'm like, you know what? I'm going to think about these things in the time period they were made. And yeah, we can talk about whether or not certain aspects aged well or not. And that's perfectly fine. But I don't think this movie did anything utterly offensive that would make people not want to watch it. And obviously, things have improved as the franchise has gone on, too. Otherwise, it wouldn't have gone on as long as it has. But you know, I am looking forward to watching these next two. And I'll probably make myself catch up before I watch the latest one that's coming out this year. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of checked out after the third one. But I don't know, I, I could give them a try. I just, I don't know, there was just something so nice. Maybe it was my age too. Like the the time of the, the first, second and third coming out, I was in my teens and it was so fun and I was so obsessed with cars and it was cool to see them on the big screen and maybe my interest just changed a little bit and the, the movie, the franchise evolved a little bit and it, it had to. Uh, but yeah, man, I, I, I'd stay, I stand for it in a vacuum. Fun movie, fun movie. Yeah. Andrew, before we go here, I like to hit some recommendations. So what's another action kind of movie that you really think people would enjoy? Okay, so I'm going to hit you with a, maybe a slightly different vibe. Still, I think people would still enjoy it, but it's not your full-on Andrew recommending Gone in 60 Seconds or Fast and the Furious. <laughs> but I recently watched a movie that was had its it definitely had its moments of action but it was also just this incredibly cool story that had just as much dialogue and drama as it did action and that was molly's game i just thought that that movie was so crazy it's about this woman who ran this crazy poker circuit with all these high stakes games and based on a true story and they they kind of took the names of the celebrities out uh but it was just like one of those movies where the whole time you're watching it you're just like oh man so as far as being thoroughly entertained and engaged in a movie, that's my most recent one where I was like, wow, I'm in it. So it's more like, you know, keeping with the crime theme here because maybe yeah. that poker game wasn't so legal. But for me, I'm going to recommend Transporter. You know, there are a few of these. Jason Statham, we see later on in Fast and the Furious movies. So why not? It fits. And, you know, they have some nice cars in those movies, too. Have a few Beamers, if I recall correctly. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think that that was the movie that was very famous for making a couple of those Beamers. And, you know, it's I'm, I'm embarrassed to admit it, but I don't I don't think I've seen Transporter. I think I know as a car person that those get brought up, but I, I haven't seen it. So I'm going to take your recommendation and finally watch it. Perfect. I've done my job. Thank you. The podcast worked. Andrew, thank you so much for coming on to talk about this today. And I do want to tell everyone to go check out your podcast, Where Are All My Friends? Great show. You have lots of great guests on there. And I definitely look forward to talking about Too Fast, Too Furious with you soon. It's always fun to come on a podcast about movies and talk about cars when my podcast has literally nothing to do with that. It's over here talking about the come up stories of young entrepreneurs and people in music. So it's fun to take a little break and just 
talk about something as fun and lighthearted as random oddball car movies that I like. So thank you for allowing there to be a platform where I can be a guest and just talk about something so, so different. And I'm a huge fan of everything you're doing too, like watching you continue on with this. I don't know anything about Stephen King, but all the bits that I see from you through it, I'm like, oh, wow guy's done a lot of cool stuff so seeing you just continue to kill it with all of that is super fun too so it's it's always a pleasure to come on and hang out with you and talk about any movies or whatever well i appreciate it and i am certainly happy to watch some car movies that don't make me think too much (laughs) well there it is there it is it's uh thank you for humoring that and letting me talk about very niche specific car things while you keep us focused on the story and keep me in check because you can tell where my priorities lie with these movies (laughs) all good we need car people there it is there it is Well, cool. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. All right, everyone. That does it for this episode of Welcome to Geekdom. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so through our Patreon. If you want to follow us on socials, you can do so at GeekdomPod on Twitter and at Welcome to Geekdom on Instagram and Facebook. And as always, thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.